This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Rachel Sumner. I've said this before and I'll say it again. One of the biggest benefits of doing this podcast is that I get to cross paths with those who I call my people. And Rachel is absolutely in that group. Her energy, enthusiasm, and commitment to helping young people prepare for the future is evident in our conversation. And I am thrilled for you to hear it. During this episode, we talk about why we need to change the way we think about the future of work, how ambiguity gets in the way of decision making, why employers need to be responsible for playing a role in career exploration, and the exciting new initiative that Rachel is launching to help our teens become future ready. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's get started. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they are empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hi, Rachel. Thanks so much for being here on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted you're here. This has been a long time coming. I feel like you are my people. Ah, thank you. I feel exactly the same. As soon as our paths crossed, I was like, I know you are my people. And in this space, we can use all the people we can get, right? You are so right. So before we get started on all the things we're going to talk about, um, can you just Give my audience a little intro to who you are, what you do, and let them get to know you. Yeah, thank you. Happy to do that. And actually, I'm going to start with the why. I think people, I find people are always most interested in the why I do what I do. And and for years, I've been, you know, continuing to work on what is that why. Um, anybody who's familiar with Simon Sinek's work about the why, you know, I followed that a lot and used that as a frame. But actually... Last year, I read Glennon Doyle's Untamed. I don't know whether you've read that, Betsy. And in that, it said, figure out what breaks your heart in the world. And there lies your purpose. And I, for me, that was a moment of aha, where I went, what broke my heart? I don't need this to be a sob story. But what broke my heart was watching people's potential not being tapped fully to the fullest extent, leaving potential on the table. And by that, I kind of mean human potential, our talent. Um, And certainly in my early career, I felt that way myself, that my full potential was never being leveraged. And so 
my purpose came about in my late 20s where I actually took the opportunity to retrain myself and, and, and uh, meaning I went back to school and trained to be a high school teacher and worked with a group of students there particularly who opened my eyes to how the system itself doesn't always enable us to really leverage all our talents and that's really where my purpose my why began how could we help others realize their potential and for me that has become more clearly defined over the years is really about people's economic potential how do we keep them meaningfully employed throughout their lives and you know anything I've done professionally in terms of my own economic potential has been connected back to that whether it's teaching or training or coaching or even my latest endeavor with the future of work ready I'm always looking for ways to to help solve that problem I fell in love with that problem 20 <coughs> plus years ago <laughs> and I'm still in love with that problem but that problem is starting to evolve itself and I think we might talk a bit about that together today as well I love that story and mine I think you know this mine is similar you know I spent 20 plus <coughs> years in <laughs> corporate America and while I enjoyed what I did and worked with smart people and had great opportunities Never really felt like I was tapping into that purpose. And I love that Glennon Doyle quote. I'd forgotten about that. So I'm actually going to um, I'm gonna write that down and remember that. But let's talk about the work you do now because, mm -hmm. and that's going to evolve obviously into all the things related to the issues that our young people are facing. Um, can you give my audience just kind of a, a glimpse into the kind of work you do and, and what your current purpose is? Yeah, happily, happily. Um, Future of Work Ready uh, dot com has been a long time coming, and really is an attempt to address a particular aspect of the problem itself, Betsy. Which is that the more I talk to young people themselves, to their parents, to their carers, to their guidance counselors, those people that are trying to help our young people, you know, explore their talents, their potential. What I realize is that we as a group really lack an awareness about the future of work, about what's coming down the, t the pipe, frankly, for our young generation now. And so with the best of intentions, our counsel to them and of them and our guidance is really framed in our own experiences in, in the workplace, in the workforce. That is not what they're going to be dealing with, this generation, you know, who are about to enter the workforce and the ones that follow. And so with futureofworkready.com, what I'm hoping to do is just provide some basic resources that families, that anybody who supports a young person can use to help begin to think about how work is changing and how we are going to need to change the way we think about post-secondary life and pathways to make sure that we enable them to thrive in that future of work, not just survive. Uh, and that's really where the biggest part of, of my time is, is focused at the moment is in the development of, of that, uh, that site and the resources that will be available through it shortly. <laughs> yeah, it's coming soon, right? Isn't coming it coming soon? Yeah, um, the plan is to certainly um, um, get the first resources out to people this month, and that would be February for anybody who's listening to this later in the year. Um, but equally, 
feel free to jump in there now if you're listening and you think this could be of help to you because um, there is a sign up opportunity which will mean that as soon as we're ready to roll um, we'll be letting everybody know and and that's that's going to be a super exciting day for me oh for me too um so let's talk about some of the issues related Mm. to the future of work and i do want to talk about the kinds of resources and help you're going to offer on the site as well but let's go back a little bit and talk about kind of like the problem right let's identify the problem what kind of issues are we facing and how can we help our young people start to think about this and frame it in a different way? Cause you're right. I mean, I went to high school a very long time ago and college was different. Work was different. Everything was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not only is it different now, 10 years from now, it's going to be even that much more different. Right. So that I heard somebody quote recently that, our seniors in high school, the jobs they're going to have in 10 years don't even exist yet, some of them. So let's talk about the issues around that. You you mentioned something called an articulation gap. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll happily dig into that, Betsy. And, and the issues are, there's there's many issues, surprise. I mean, it's it's a complex point because we're talking about a whole scale, wholesale system change that needs to happen here but so but I want to ground it as well to your other point about what can we as parents and carers and those supporting young people do but I'll start at the higher level if I may and and really when we're talking about the future of work there are a couple of key parts of that if we if we unpack it a little that are relevant to our conversation and to what we might do to help the first being around exactly what you said the jobs that our young people are going to be um, acquiring throughout their their working life, which actually many are predicting to be, get this, 60 years long. So they're not preparing, preparing for 40 years in the workplace. They're preparing for 60 years in the workplace. I know it makes you and I shake our heads. <laughs> I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But so jobs that we don't, you can't even imagine yet will exist. The jobs we know now will cease to exist. And then to layer on top of that as well, the notion of the fact that we will see the uh, involvement of machines. And I mean that in, in the widest sense, but you know, technology particularly, taking over some of the activities we as humans have, have done you know, they, we won't even be required for that anymore. So if you really dig down into all of that, what we're what we're needing to do, I think, as parents and carers and guidance counsellors is reframe the conversation with our young people. So much of what we've talked about with them in the last 20, 30, 40 years around kind of those through the industrial revolution of our economies has been about a job or an occupation group, meaning, you know, you want to be an X, no matter what that is, whether that's, you know, um, housekeeper in in hospitality or whether it's a teacher or whether it's a construction worker we had a title that we we gave to that activity that we all then understood and we knew what you needed to be able to do and what you needed to know to be able to take on that job of work but when we're trying to prepare young people for a future where we don't even know what the jobs are going to be we're going to have to really completely rethink this conversation with them because we can't prepare them for something we frankly don't even know about yet. 
So when we dig into this with them, I would really encourage us to start to have conversations around, and it really it's the reframing of your question of me, what are the problems that you want to help solve? So we're not attaching it to a job per se or an occupation group. Um, what are the problems you want to solve? What are you curious about? Goodness me, wouldn't it be great if we could really bring back curiosity amongst you know, our human population for many reasons? What are the skills? What are your talents? How would you like to develop them so they could be helpful? Let's have those conversations more and then find ways for our young people to really work through those such that post high school, that becomes the job to be done, not the preparation for a specific job role or occupation. Does, does that make any sense, Betsy? Absolutely. In fact, I've had multiple conversations on this podcast about just that, about what are the problems you want to solve. And I'm so glad you brought up curiosity because, in fact, the episode that I published yesterday with Tony Wagner, he talks a lot about curiosity and being able to ask good questions um, and the problem solving. So, but in this, these conversations are happening and, you know, I'm on board, you're on board. I think it requires a big mindset shift right. for parents, right? right? And for educators. Right. And it's I think the struggle is not only just equipping our teens with this, but getting parents to start thinking in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And therein lies the articulation gap. Thank you for referencing that earlier. And forgive me, I didn't clearly define that in my answer just now but there are in fact multiple articulation gaps you know within this this issue that we're talking about this afternoon you know, when you think about it and forgive me I'm an economist by original training so I tend to look at this through that lens when you think about demand for talent coming from employers um, they themselves don't know what the future roles they're going to need to fill are so they're struggling to articulate into the labor market, we need 20 people that can do X or 50 people that can do Y. So they're struggling with articulating what it is they need, you know, from 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 the labor market. So then imagine then the suppliers, meaning us and our children as they enter the workforce, trying to reflect back, well, I can do that. X or I can do that. If I don't know what even X and Y is, how on earth am I supposed to be telling it, telling them I've got it and I can do it? And to your point about educators, if I don't know what it is, how do I learn it? You know, and, and what do our schools need to be offering now? I was watching um, or listening rather, forgive me, to your um, your your podcast with with Kevin Kevin Fleming and I and I loved a lot of what he said about how we should be changing that kind of framework through which we look at that college and university selection but I but I would even say I think we need to go beyond that now because our colleges and universities are going to have to move quickly now to to really decide what they're going to do to prepare our workforces for the future you know when 
when we don't know from employers exactly what they're going to need, what does that mean for institutions designing new degree programs or these new micro-credentials? How are they going to decide what to focus on in order to really get the workforce ready? Um, and then back to the to your point about parents and carers, how do we guide somebody through a system that we care about when there's an information gap, an articulation gap about what's needed? It's we do. There's a there's a paradigm shift here. Um, it's not just a mindset shift. I think I think it's bigger than that. Betsy, it's a paradigm shift here that we're that we're all living through, which in some ways makes it really exciting, and in some ways terrifying in equal measure. <laughs> I agree. It's exciting and exhausting at the same time. Yes, yes. Somebody said to me early on, right when I was launching the podcast, you know, I told them what I was doing and they're like, that is a big ship to turn. Good luck. Mm. And I said, you know, it is, but somebody's got to start turning it. Truly. And, and while I'm seeing more and more of it, maybe because I'm in this space now, I, I think higher ed is ripe for reform. Parents are so ready for help and a shift. I, I think everybody's ready for it. I think everybody just doesn't need know how to, to make it happen. Right. Um, but I think conversations like this are super helpful and people like you who are moving that needle and making resources available like you're going to be doing on your website. I mean, what that's a great start for us, I think. More than a start, right? It's it's incremental change. Let's talk about that. Can we talk about some of the content that you're going to yeah, be offering? Yeah, of course. I mean, certainly first out the gate, I just want to make sure everyone's got a basic understanding of what we mean when we're talking about the future of work. So that, you know, if your young person in your life, you know, asks you, mum, dad, what do you think are the jobs that I could be considering that actually you help them change that question? Because you yourself know that we're moving towards a workforce that is not going to be oriented in the same way it used to be to specific jobs. And I do think, you know, getting that, the first job of work here is to get that base understanding amongst families, parents, carers, young people themselves about what this means. Even if we can't be definitive about what it means exactly. Let's get to a point where we all understand big change is coming and it's coming hard and it's coming fast. So that's where we're going to start. And you know, the, the plan is to offer all our resources in a variety of different formats. We'll have some, you know, video content, we'll have some interviews, we'll have some kind of reading materials. And I also wanted to make it for those where this might be helpful. Um, somewhat of a community space where people can make suggestions and offer ideas as well for what would be helpful for them. Uh, and as well, I was thinking that uh, longer term, we might offer, particularly for use in schools with guidance counsellors, kind of, you know, an interactive kind of worksheet approach where there's some prompts and questions that can be used to support really robust conversations. Because I do know as an educator myself that, you know, just a basic understanding doesn't necessarily mean you're well equipped to have a conversation about it. So I want to offer up some suggestions for how to go about having those conversations, really. Also some guidance about, OK, now you've had the conversation. What do you do next? You know, and certainly um, by no means want to position Future of Work Ready as, you know, being the definitive resource. But because there's so much 
good content out there. So almost be a a gateway to to other good content that can help people, you know, get or understand and think through these things. And and there are some, you know, existing resources out there that can help with this. Um, but almost being that sort of first point for for families and guidance counselors to go to to sort of jump off from, um, and again invite the community to make suggestions there about good things they've found. So that that's how I'm coming at the launch of it. But I want to do this in a very iterative way, Betsy, see what people are actually using and finding beneficial, um, and then and then go from there. I think that is a much needed resource. And I love that you're including the community part of it because I I have found too, a lot of my conversations, I've learned so much from other parents, not just what they need, but what they're finding helpful or what they're struggling with or their kids are struggling with. And I just think this community is is a great opportunity to, to your point to, you know, it's almost like research, right? Because they're going to use it out and they're going to tell you what they need or what they're getting from it, what they're not getting from it. And you're right. There's a lot of good stuff out there, but I've often said this. And in fact, uh, my co-host in our Facebook group, Life After Mm. 12, Jay and I, you know, if it's, it's so hard to find. So we try and do the same thing. We try and, and kind of bring it together, collate it together and, and share it with people. So it's not such a dig through the jungle. And that content curation is so critical, isn't it, nowadays? I mean, we're trying to teach our young people to be digitally literate themselves, to be able to make good choices. Why why Wikipedia, as awesome as it is in many ways, is not necessarily always the most credible source for information. So if I can, through the lens of expertise that I'm building, you know, help just to your point, you know, makes help people make good choices about which resources they're drawing on. Uh, I'm hoping that just saves that, you know, six hours of, of Googling brings it down to 30 minutes quite right. honestly. Right. Because it's overwhelming. And, you know, there's a lot of noise out there too. Yes. Yes. You can find a lot of junk that's not relevant or not helpful, and you'll spend a lot of time on that. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. You mentioned guidance counselors, and I've had this conversation more times than I can count about the fact that our guidance counselors are so overtaxed. Right. And I don't know how it is where you are. I'm assuming the same, but yes. you know, my kids are in a high school of over 2,000 kids and four guidance counselors. They all have at least 500 kids, yeah. you know, to to help. And when I say help, I mean they're they have to schedule and and all that stuff. There's no time, there's no capacity right. for them to do any kind of real and valuable career exploration and, and planning with them. And again, I, I'm not complaining about them. It's a broken system. There's not enough right. funding, right. which I think all the more reason why parents, if they're equipped, need to take on that role because it's not happening in the schools. 
Any thoughts on that and how yeah. we as parents can be better about that? Yeah, that's a great point. And in fact, something else you've triggered me to think about that I wanted to talk about if there was time this afternoon. But first thing in terms of that, I, I love what you said just now about community. Um, if you're privileged enough to have a community of parents that that um, can support this this kind of work and I'm calling it work because it is work let's be honest you know we are working hard to give our young people the opportunities um, to enable them to lead meaningful lives and if we're privileged enough to to have a connection with a network community that can support that I I would really encourage people to ask you know of, of fellow parents are you talking about this? How are you talking? How is this coming up? Are you learning anything from your workplace about the future of work? What's your organization saying about where things are headed? I think that is a you know a really important thing for us to do, just to be talking about this more and openly. I think quite honestly, and I know for some parents this is often a challenge, to be really transparent with your young person and say, and admit, I, I don't know it all. That, you know, if some family relationships, you know, there's that there's that obvious um, look to parent as expert. You know, you know this stuff. You're going to guide me, but you know, we're all wading together into completely new waters here. So I think reframing it in the way of let's figure it out together. You know, a really important way to come at this rather than positioning yourself as as expert or quasi expert here and 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 really taking it on together to explore this because as, as obviously you know more resources become available broadly um that's something that you could ex- you know look at together with your young person and, and and not do it you know send them off in isolation or or you try to figure out on your own because for all of those of us who are parenting teens, by and large, they're pretty good at telling us what works and what doesn't work for them, I find anyway. Oh, yeah. I don't um, know anything. Yeah, I don't exactly. know anything. But, but they do look to us. I did a piece of research independently last summer, actually, Betsy, where I talked to close to 200 young people. Talk to, forgive me, I should say. I, I, I surveyed close to 200 young people, both in North America and Europe, and still they look to their family to be to offer them the guidance around the workplace Um, Mm -hmm. above guidance counselors it's still the reality of the situation so while we may feel at times we don't know it all and they may tell us we don't know it all they still do look to us for that and so you know really um, as I say starting to change shift that relationship and and, uh, important I think the other thing for me as well not only community not only kind of really changing the way we're talking with them as something we're going to explore together, but is actively um, find information yourselves through uh, credible resources. There's a, a, a really, um, there's a, a really great book that came out last year. I think it was Michael Horn um, published a book um, called, choosing choosing college exactly and you've no doubt talked about it before on the podcast I interviewed him well there you go then forgive (laughs) me I missed that one but what I what I was trying to reference there is I think what parents struggle with is an analytical framework through which to help young people make these decisions about life after school Um, and so 
figuring out with and for them what are those key things they should be considering um, so that as you explore all the opportunities that lie ahead of them and then begin to think about the unknown opportunities that, that are even further out than that, there's a, a really clear way of doing that such that you can come to a, a decision that both you and they feel good about. I, I, I truly think that sometimes the ambiguity that swirls around all of this um, actually gets in the way of decision making. I've seen that with my own teenage children, that 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 they need help sometimes with making that decision. And, and we've certainly as a family taken the position that it is their decision. And that's, you know, maybe different for some, but but helping them think through what matters to you about life after high school. Um, and then offering them up a way to think that through. And Michael's book does, as you know, such a good job with that. Um, but the point I wanted to get to as well was around young people who don't unfortunately have the privilege of a situation at home or within their family environment where they can look for that kind of guidance and support to you know use the language just now. They may not be equipped to to offer that. And again, maybe a big ask given everything everyone's dealing with at the moment, but you know, is there a young person within your community? who, and I love what you're doing with your new initiative as well, Betsy, around um, inviting people to to flag if they'd like to talk about their own careers with young people. I think that is a brilliant initiative um, because there are certainly young people we all know who, for, for whatever reason, don't have that guidance in their home environment. How can we lean in? And offer that to them in a, you know in a really respectful way, so that nobody is left out here from this. Thank you so much for mentioning that the Career Exploration Network that Jay and I are launching. Yeah, I mean our goal is to get as many professionals in whatever field that they're in to sign up, to get on board, to help young people who really want to explore the careers. I mean, you can do so much research online, but it doesn't give you that insider information that date what does the day-to-day of the job look like so that's a really big deal it's a it's all very rear view mirror as well so you know all the information about careers is about what that career looked like yesterday because the frankly the moment it's published it's out of date so to talk to those people about as I mentioned earlier what is coming down the pipe in your sector, in your occupational area? What's being talked about in terms of the digital transformation of, of your sector? How do you think jobs are going to change in your sector? That's just such incredibly powerful insight that then can be fed back to that young person in such a way that as they're considering life after high school, they can make more purposeful decisions about what they need to do to prepare for, you know, being economically active. I love that you've talked a lot about this during our conversation about kind of looking at it through a different lens, right? Mm-hmm. The, what problems do you want to solve? What are you curious about? As, as Michael Horn frames it, you know, as far as colleges go, the jobs to be done, right? right. So why are you going to that college? Why are you choosing that path? I really like this approach and I really think it's it's an approach that should be used 
not only with parents and teens, but in schools as well. Yes. You know, what little career exploration is happening for lack of resources and time because they have so many standards to meet and so many tests to take. um, I think any time we can ignite those conversations with kids, eventually it's just going to become a mindset. And they're just going to start thinking that way. It won't. They won't need to be reminded. Yeah. And, and the other thing I might offer on that as well is about a, a, a kind of key player in all of this I touched on earlier, that being the employers themselves, Betsy. They seem at times, I think, to have kind of abdicated any responsibility for this work to the school system and to families. And yet then are the first to decry that they're not getting the talent they need out of the school system. But I'm sorry, employers, you have a responsibility here, too. And while I recognize, you know, as I said earlier, they may not be able to crystal crystal clear and say, you know, what exactly they need. They need to come closer, I think, you know, and and really engage. And, you know, you see some great examples from large organizations who, who engage in the school system in a variety of ways. But I also wonder about small, medium business as well. they have talent needs too, maybe not on the same kind of scale, but you think in many of our states in the US, and certainly it's true in Canada and the provinces, the economy is really built on small, medium enterprise, not large right. corporations. And so where are small, medium businesses in, in this as well, talking to young people about you know their business and what their talent needs are? Um, unfortunately as well, I think our young people, some and understandably, I did it myself, you know, get attracted to the, the the big ivory tower or whatever, you know, the the big corporation all looks so super exciting and, you know, la, 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 la. But, you know, the reality is most of us work for small, medium enterprise, you know. Right. So how do we talk to our young people about that aspect too, that how do you prepare for a job working for a small or medium employer what does that mean differently and how do those employers need to lean in and the other point on that in terms of employer responsibilities you know some interesting shifts by some of the big technology companies as we've seen saying actually we don't care about credentials anymore we don't need your young people to have gone to do a four-year degree we're actually more interested in what they can do we want to see them demonstrate skills to us. Um, and as I said, I think that's part of the reframing of the conversation we need to have with our young people to make sure that they can be economically active throughout their working lives is what can you do um, right. as much as what do you know? And that's a massive shift for post-secondary too, that are institutions of knowledge creation are now being asked to layer on top of that training you know and even using that language in my experience in post-secondary can cause some feathers to be ruffled well we're not a training institution you know well actually except that you are exactly (laughs) Betsy you are now so it's pointless you know resisting it and and feeling challenged by that thinking to remain relevant you have to become it um so kind of as much as, as a friend of mine would say get over yourself um, mm-hmm. and, and embrace it and see it as an opportunity for your institution. But so many are really resistant to that, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if COVID has taught us anything, mm-hmm. it's 
universities have had to shift on a dime to accommodate distance learners, right? But not only that, I think consumers of college and university have figured out that they don't have to pay those big price tags to go off to the expensive schools. They can learn the same stuff at home. And you're right. Like Google's not requiring a four-year, a lot of the big ones, IBM for some uh, jobs as well. And yeah, maybe it's a certificate path. Maybe it's a portfolio path. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think on that note as well, um, the way to, to Kevin's point and to Michael's points as well about how we're looking at that decision about college or university, whichever pathway, and, and really evaluating that as an option. There are different ways that families you know, are doing that, that analytical framework I mentioned before, but certainly you know, people using the rankings um, and rating systems that exist. I'm talking about you know, the kind of QS and the US News World Report and Financial Times. And there's so many different ones. You know, they all have their own issues in terms of the methodology behind them. So I wouldn't ever suggest to anybody, let that be the be all and end all of the way in which you assess a school or certainly not, but many do find it useful, but there are other digital um, tools now becoming available for families that didn't exist before, such as, um, as a Brit, I say it niche, but I know some say niche. So for, for <laughs> anybody listening, niche or niche, um, that have created a really neat portal for reviews. And we're not talking about faculty reviews here, like rate my prof or anything. We're actually talking about institution level reviews. I don't know whether anyone's raised that before on the podcast. Um, no, no, I'd be interested in, and I'll share any links that we talk about. I'll share that. Yeah, in the show but notes it's, it's that notion of, you know, like, um, uh, the Witch Report or Consumer Index, I think it's called, where actual customers get to provide feedback on the product. And there are going to be some right. that react to me calling higher education a product. But if we position it that way, these are first person reviews of experiences at our various institutions. Um, and, and so I think that could be another helpful data point, not the entirety. And then we've got the wonderful work being done by the EDMIT team, that's E-D-M-I-T, um, being led by uh, Nick Dukoff there. And that's they've created a digital tool to enable families to really understand the cost of a specific school and program. For any of us who've supported a young person through that aspect of the decision making, you know, there's often a lot of maybe not intentionally, but hidden costs. Equally, there's awful a lot of discounting, if, if we can call it that, that goes on so that the, the ticket price is not necessarily actually what your young person will end up paying. But that's all very hidden. And so what Nick and his team are trying to do is really. Um, make that much more transparent for young people and their families as they're considering particular institutions and programs um, so that that if cost is a factor, which of course it is for many of us, that you've got really accurate insight about the real costs of going to college so that you can decide whether it's worth that investment. Yeah, I just picked up a book uh, last week called The Price You Pay for College by Ron Lieber. Um, He did a really deep dive into really what you pay for college and how to get the best deal and merit and all that kind of stuff. So again, the resources are out there, but parents have to know that they're there and how to find them. 
Right. And that's what I'm hoping to help with with futureofworkready.com. You know, so as I said, would encourage anybody um, who joins our community to put forward great resources that they found, you know, and I'll do my best to signal them out to the community as well. And of course, your podcast will be included in that. Oh, you're amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. You, you know that we could talk all day. Yeah, it's so true. And I would be happy to uh, carry the conversation on with anybody who's listened to the podcast and wants to connect further, Betsy. So yeah, and I, I would love for you to come back. Maybe you can come back after your site launches and you start to see yeah. movement and growth. And we can talk about that because that would be super cool. Yeah, that would be, I would, oh my gosh, thank you for the opportunity to do that. I think it would be great to talk about what I'm seeing families actually using and what their feedback is on it um, so, that, so that I can do a better job, an even better job of signaling, you know, what people are finding useful. So, yeah, that would, well, talking to you anytime is always a privilege. <laughs> really I'd like to have an every Friday call if we could. Uh, let's put it in. <laughs> let's put it in. <laughs> Um, so the website, where else can people find you and follow you? Thank you. So futureofworkready.com, certainly uh, the home for all of these resources we've talked about this afternoon. And the, obviously, as I mentioned, the signposts to many more great resources that I can claim no credit for, but certainly would offer my small endorsement of as we think about how to help our young people get ready for the future of work. Certainly, um, we are on Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram, all those good places. So I uh, would encourage anybody to follow us there as well. Um, myself I'm on Twitter or LinkedIn Rachel Sumner as you all know so feel free to connect with me there and happy to answer any questions um, just want to keep the conversation going like you Betsy you know there's this is something critical back to my why at the beginning can you imagine a world in which everybody's full talent and potential was actually completely and utterly used and leveraged Imagine what we could do as as a species if that was possible and the kind of happiness that that would bring to us all. Yeah, let's work on that, hey? I'm in. Count me in. Thought you were. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, as always. And uh, my best wishes to you and to everyone. Stay safe and well. And uh, no doubt we'll connect again somewhere, somehow. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you would take a minute and give me a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so new episodes will be delivered directly to you as soon as they become available. You can find and connect with me on the High School Hamster Wheel Facebook page. And please consider joining me and my co-host Jay Dusold in our Life After 12th Facebook group where we provide encouragement and help for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. All links and references mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes. The High School Hamster Wheel Podcast is a proud partner of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. 
And how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. Say, we're talking uh, about sustainability, <laughs> maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. <laughs> There's your first challenge of the week. <laughs> Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Green.